Welcome to In That Case. My name's Joel Townsend and this is my podcast about important pieces of public interest litigation which have shaped Australian life. It's been a very long time since I last put out an episode, but you can find old episodes on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher and on Spotify and I'd be very happy to receive any of your comments or questions about those past episodes. Also feel free to give them a rating. I I gather it helps other people to find the podcast if they're uh, given ratings. So um, I wanted to talk today about a very controversial, very publicly well-known case, the case of Love and Toms and the Commonwealth of Australia, which is about the question of whether somebody who is recognised as an Aboriginal person can nonetheless be treated as an alien for the purposes of the cancellation of their visa, their detention in immigration detention and their removal from Australia. Daniel Love was born in 1979 in Papua New Guinea to an Australian father. His Australian father was an Aboriginal man and Daniel came to Australia and since 1984 has lived here as a permanent resident. He hasn't left Australia since 1985 and he is by at least one member of the Camilleroy people in Queensland recognised as a member of that people. Brendan Toms was born in 1988 in New Zealand. He's lived in Australia permanently since 1994. He has an Australian mother an Aboriginal woman, and he is recognised as a native title holder. He is a member of the Gungarai people. Neither Daniel Love nor Brendan Toms had applications made on their behalves when they were children to be recognised as citizens of Australia, though they would at various points have been able to pursue such an application. Neither of them are citizens and and then when they were in adulthood they committed some serious criminal offending which in each of their cases resulted in more than 12 months imprisonment and that meant that as non-citizens they were exposed to visa cancellation the power of cancellation under section 501 of the migration act their visas were cancelled and they were put in immigration detention. And they challenged the validity of those cancellations in the High Court, arguing that Aboriginal people could not be treated as aliens for the purposes of visa cancellation, that they could not have uh, visas cancelled under that power, and that they were entitled to remain in Australia. I spoke to Claire Gibbs from Morris Blackburn who ran litigation on behalf of these two clients in the High Court. So um, we come from from the social justice aspect, but my personal expertise is, yes, I'm a torts lawyer, so I'm not an immigration lawyer, I'm certainly not a constitutional lawyer, Um, but then when uh, the Refugee and Immigration Legal Service um, were acting for Daniel Love in relation to um, his revocation of his visa. Um, And they were closely working with Stephen Kymersey and um, Rails and 
Stephen approached Maurice Blackburn um, very concerned about Daniel being in, uh, an Aboriginal man, um, being in, in immigration detention and under threat of deportation. It was clearly wrong and we had concerns about it from the beginning. But Maurice Blackburn initially were brought on board from a social justice aspect, but also in terms of, you know, if the, the government were using the alien's power to unlawfully detain Daniel, of course, we saw that, you know, this was, this was a, a great, um, deprivation of his personal liberty so um, the tort aspect was sort of front of mind fairly early on so the tort aspect um obviously that aspect of it is yet to be resolved in terms of the kind of constitutional arguments how early on were you talking about um addressing this sort of fundamental question about the scope of the alien's power well, it was it was front of mind from the outset in terms of where we'll be filing and what jurisdiction, and it was it was certainly that constitutional um, threshold question of who's an alien um, and whether the government could be using that power. So that was framed very early on um, in the piece. Um, you know, it was very very concerning to us, um, particularly where there is an exercise of discretion in regards to revocation of visas. Um, that uh, that the aliens' power was being misused, um, so that was that was the first and foremost um, part of the argument. No, so Daniel Love um, was um, so I met Daniel Love. I, I, I can't forget the the day I um, I drove to the Brisbane um, immigration transit accommodation to meet um, with Daniel. Um, to discuss, you know, what his potential options were. And I'll never forget walking through that facility and meeting with Daniel for the first time, who's clearly an Aboriginal man, um, and just to see the look of humiliation on his face um, and the, the fear, essentially, of being deported to um, PNG, where he had no connections at all. Um, so Daniel... Um, was our, was our first client, so we lodged the proceedings um, in the High Court. Um, and then not so long after, a few, not too long after, um, the thankfully, um, common sense and some compassion prevailed and his um, the decision was uh, revised um, and he was released from immigration detention after about 45 days. But probably much on the cusp of Daniel being released, um, that's when um, Brendan Toms was placed in immigration detention. Um, Brendan became aware of our involvement in Daniel's case and reached out uh, for our assistance. There were more similarities than, than differences, even with both cases, you're right. Um, they both, so Brendan was born in New Zealand and Daniel was born in PNG. Um, they both came to Australia as very young boys and um, have been Australians ever since. Both um, had a parent who was an Australian citizen but an also an Aboriginal Australian. Um, the differences... Um, are probably limited to um, in respect of where we find ourselves now is that um, that Brendan is a, uh, a native title holder and, and Daniel is not. Um, he is part of a Gomorrah claim which is still to be determined. And that's the thing, is the exercise of discretion. We, we called for that all along, every time. So the first hearing um, leading up to that, um, the second hearing, um, you know, we appealed 
um, Daniel's family, um, Brendan's family uh, certainly appealed um, to the minister directly um, through all ranks in, of government, um, explaining their stories um, to the government as well. So we would have thought that if there was any time for that the exercise of discretion was called for, it was certainly in these cases. Um, but it, as I said before, it took 501 days for that. Well, it took us um, taking this, um, long, hard-fought battle to the High Court um, to, to get them to release Brendan from immigration detention after 501 days. As I indicated in the introduction, the visas of Daniel Love and Brendan Toms were purportedly cancelled under Section 501 of the Migration Act. And that provision rests on the alien's power in the Commonwealth Constitution, that is the power which permits the Commonwealth Parliament to legislate on matters relating to aliens. In numerous cases, the High Court has examined the question of what constitutes an alien, and in, in substance, um, there is a distinction between, drawn between, on the one hand, citizens, and on the other hand, non-citizens or aliens. It was argued by Daniel Love and Brendan Toms that in fact here, notwithstanding that they were not citizens, that they couldn't fall within the scope of the aliens' power because they were Aboriginal. That is, that Aboriginal Australians, even if they don't have citizenship within the meaning of the Australian Citizenship Act, they still could not be seen as aliens and thus could not be subject to the operation of a provision, Section 501, which rested on the alien's power. The Commonwealth, for its part, argued that at the time of Federation, when the Constitution came into effect, there were two theories of citizenship abroad in the common law world. One was the theory of citizenship by descent, or parentage, and the other was the notion of citizenship by virtue of place of birth. The Commonwealth argued that Parliament was entitled to decide who would not be a citizen by the application of those criteria. And here it, it had decided that people who, like Daniel Love and Brendan Toms, were born to one Australian parent and one non-Australian parent overseas were not entitled to citizenship. The Commonwealth said that's a, a perfectly fine test for citizenship for Parliament to have legislated, that the consequence of that was that these two were not citizens and that that was synonymous with alienage and there was no exception to that principle for Aboriginal Australians. It obviously was an argument which posed some really difficult questions about Australia, Australia's history and Australia's identity. And the difficulty of that set of issues is illustrated by the fact that the High Court convened for argument in the case, heard argument, and then subsequently wrote to the parties and listed the matter for another round of argument before it finally reached its decision. And I spoke to Claire Gibbs about that experience. It 
tell me a bit about the experience of of being involved in a piece of high court litigation for that long and how the arguments gradually coalesced over time. Look, the experience, um, it's hard to have uh, one or a few objectives to describe it. Initially, of course, it, it's, it's a landmark decision, but it was a landmark, always going to be a landmark type of case, given that this is the first time that an argument like this has been um, brought before or considered by the High Court. So initially, it's not so much that it evolved, but I think the arguments really clarified and crystallised um, in between the two hearings. But um, for us, it was always, you know, there was two parts to our argument. The first being, look, you know, our clients were always eligible to be Australian citizens. They had uh, one parent who was an Australian citizen, but the really common sense and the, um, the the argument that was ultimately successful was um, that our clients are descendants of first Australians, so it's not so much um, about race, it's about indigeneity and um, that, you know, there, there was that common law connection um, that our clients have had a, a deep... Um, an ongoing connection to the lands and waters of Australia. So being Aboriginal Australians, um, the court ultimately, you know, found in the end, but as the argument developed, it, it became about who belongs as part of the Australian body politic um, and the common sense argument, um, even um, from the outset, was that an Aboriginal person, regardless of where they're born, could not fit within that definition. So the Commonwealth had a very binary argument in that, you know, um, our clients weren't Australian citizens, therefore they were aliens. Um, and, you know, that, 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 that's why I think we were invited back by the court in terms of the second hearing to really explore, um, you know, it, it, it's not as simple as that because being a citizen is a statutory concept, um, but who is an alien is, is a matter for the common law and how that's defined. So um, in terms of the, the second hearing, it was more a crystallisation of that argument that um, an Aboriginal person um, under any test um, could not be considered to be belonging um, or having an allegiance um, to another country. You had the experience of having the first hearing and then and then having the court say <clears throat> send send you correspondence saying, you know, we, we wanna we wanna call you back and, and here's where we want your focus to be. Um psychologically what was that like? It must have been um, a disconcerting thing to go through that when you you know, you have judgment reserved and then and then you going back for another round and then Victoria comes in to put its own arguments. Look, yes, all of those, uh, that, that's, that goes some way to describe the feeling, but um, above all of that is that Brendan Toms was in immigration detention the whole time. So, you know, by the time that we ultimately got to judgment, it was over 501 nights um, in immigration and every, you know, night he'd go to bed wondering whether, you know, am I going to be tapped on the shoulder and shipped out of the country um, never to see my, my, my son or my family again. Um, so, you know, that was always at front of mind for us is that, you know, we, at, we, we had, Brendan was in immigration detention. It was such an arduous um, and um, really challenging journey for his whole family um, and such a long, long fight. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is 
a landmark decision for a reason. They were, you know, um, the separate judgments. Um, so it was always going to take some time. We always knew it was going to be very long and hard fought um, battle. Um, but yes, in terms of it was disheartening at some point in time, but the importance of the decision was not lost on anybody, including both of our clients. Um, they knew the importance of it. Um, but yes, you know, very, very long journey, particularly for Brendan Toms and his family. When the High Court handed down its decision in February 2020, there were seven separate judgments. Each of the seven High Court justices wrote separately. And therefore, it is a complex exercise to pick through this case and draw out the key threads. Three of the justices, including the Chief Justice, would have found in favour of the Commonwealth. That is, they would have found that Daniel Love and Brendan Toms could be treated as aliens, that they were non-citizens and subject to the application of the Section 501 visa cancellation power, even though they claimed Aboriginality. The minority in this respect relied on the argument articulated by the Commonwealth about the uh, historical scope of the meaning of the term alien and the historical scope scope of the related concept of citizenship. For Justice Gagler, it was also important uh, that a decision in favour of the two visa cancellees in this case would potentially create a race-based test for the application of these laws. That was something which he felt clearly uncomfortable with. For the majority, the other four justices, there was an emphasis on the particular place of Indigenous people in Australian national life and on their connection to the country, the emphasis on connection to land, which is a part of the experience of many Aboriginal people. They found that in each of these cases, there was an argument that the alien's power did not apply, though it has to be said that Daniel Love's claim was not resolved. Uh, it was left for argument as to whether he should actually be treated as an Aboriginal person for the purposes of exempting him from the scope of the alien's power and thus the cancellation power. In substance, the majority drew attention to the tripartite test for Aboriginality, which has been used in other contexts, particularly native title contexts uh, in the past. And this tripartite test essentially asks whether a person self-identifies as Indigenous, is recognised by the Indigenous community of which they claim to be a part, uh, and has some connection to that community by way of descent. Speaking of the, the, the seven separate judgments, is there one of those that is a particular favourite from your point of view? Is there one that you think captures best what you were seeking to get out of the litigation? Look, I think the, the majority, um, there are a couple of um, um, particular um, really important um, 
articulations by Justice um, Gordon, um, and I think it's where she talks about, I don't have any, but the deeper truth is that, you know, um, there was a federation, nothing severed um, our first Australian's connection um, to this country and the importance of their relationship um, and their indigeneity. So um, Justice Gordon's judgment, I would have to say, is, is probably my favourite in terms of the way um, she articulates that relationship. Justice Keane very much um, lays out the legislative history um, and common law history of citizenship and um, Justice Nettle begins with um, the stories, the personal stories of your two clients. It was very striking mm -hmm. to me um, that literally the starting point for one of them was um, abstract questions of the meaning of citizenship in historical view and the, for the other was here are these two young men and this is their story. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that I think, um, that, and that, that's the thing, there's been a bit of confusion um, in the community as well as, you know, it's a hard concept to get around. Um, I'm not, my clients, we've, we've never argued that they're Australian citizens. Um, and, you know, what does that mean? If you're not a citizen, of course, you are alien. You're not from here. Um, but there is, you know, throughout the judgments, that sense of um, it comes through in the majority is that, um, you know, the test is is the belonging, who, who belongs here. And I think um, once you explain that um, to people, it, it becomes very clear, of course, it's common sense, but it, it's actually the right thing to do, that, that there's absolutely no way um, that... Um, when you define an alien as belonging to somewhere else that an Aboriginal Australian, regardless of where they're born, could ever fit that definition. And as you say, you know, there, there's the stories, the actual stories of my clients, these two men um, who have no relationship um, to the countries at all in which they're born. Um, they have children who are, who are Aboriginal children. Um, they have a parent who, who is Aboriginal and that they're both accepted by, you know, um, Daniel's a pat, proud Camilla Roy man and, and, um, and Brennan's a very, very proud Gungri man. Um, so, you know, it, it just does defy logic. And, and, and in situations where you, you bring their, my client's stories, um, you know, to, to the community and, you know, we talk about a pub test, but, you know, the, these are two young men who have been Australians in all sense of the world, have always been entitled um, to, to become citizens. They just never did because they never thought, as an Aboriginal Australian, I'm nothing but an Australian. So, um, and, you know, look, it, it, is, it was always open to them and some of their siblings have um, applied for citizenship and were successful. It was just something that, that didn't occur to them or to their parents as being necessary, being Aboriginal Australians. From the moment that the judgment was handed down, this case excited a great deal of controversy. It was argued in some quarters that it promoted a race-based division between Australians. It was also the cause of considerable concern about the appointments process to the High Court and the argument was uh, that there was a need to pay more attention to High Court appointments along the lines of the attention paid to appointments to the US Supreme Court. This notwithstanding that judges on either side of the issue in this case were from either side of politics. That is that you had Labor and Coalition appointees 
in the majority and in the minority uh, in this case. But I spoke to Claire Gibbs a bit about the controversy and a bit about the various ways in which the issues in this case continue to resonate in Australian life. Of course, um, the court fractured entirely not on um, along the lines of which political party appointed the respective justices. It was it was a very mixed picture in that regard, and you might think that that speaks well of the degree of politicisation of the court. But anyway, I'll I'll leave that aside for the moment. Do you have reflections on on that issue? Look, in terms of like, I I think. Um I don't have to go any as far as, you know, the Bar Association and the Law Council's response um, to some conservative commentators' um, views about the decision. And, you know, you know it, 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 it's been welcomed, um, you know, as a very common sense decision in a lot of quarters and a lot of commentary as well. And then the other side of the scale is these accusations of judicial activism. But in terms of what you say about, you know, it's in... It's another race-based test um, that's unfair and, you know, the, the judges have overstepped the mark there. I, I, you know, my response to that, my reflection on that, it's not so much about race, it's about indigeneity. So, yes, you know, there's all different types of races um, that make up the, the, the Australian um, community, but there is only um, one group of first Australians who have an 80,000-year history to prove that. So... Um, it, it is a very unique and special um, class of Australians that um, the common law is, is recognising um, in this sense as well. Not only have the post-judgment consequences of this case been substantial in terms of public debate, there's also been a substantial amount of work to be done post-litigation for Claire Gibbs, and she talked to me about the work that she and her colleagues have been doing for each of these two clients following the High Court success. So we've still got a job to do as well. Um, so in terms of Daniel's case, the fight's not over. Um, and, you know, the... We, you know, the Mabo uh, number two assist in some sense, but given the dispossession of um, Aboriginal people and the dispersion over a period of time, it is, it is an ongoing challenge and it is really quite offensive for my clients' families for, for them to have to say to prove that they are Aboriginal um, when it was the same government uh, that all of those um, years ago removed them from their family. So, it is really heart-rending, um, this process. It is, you know, it's a step forward, but it's also in terms of the decision, it, it's, it's still an ongoing um, challenge in that respect. So, yes, you know, our, our position is we let the sort of results um, speak for themselves as well. Um, the froth and bubble, as you say, it's disappointing um, and probably not appropriate. But the other thing in terms of the race-based um, commentary as well is um, what we've, I've found really offensive and... Um, you know, and hard to get my head around is that, you know, there are some that claim that this is a really an opportunistic argument that, they, you know, my clients, and we've never, you know, we don't um, condone the crimes that our clients have um, committed. Um, you know, they take full responsibility for the fact that they've done 
um, they, they should have served time, which they did, but the, the reality was that the government, by using the, the aliens' power, which they did, um, served to, to punish our clients twice. But it, it is no way could be found to be an opportunistic argument. Um, you're either, you know, th these fellows can't, you know, once, you know, like they're Australians all their lives, they're subject to, um, you know, the challenges of being young Aboriginal men um, and the racism all of their life and then all of a, all of a sudden that they're called upon to prove that they are actually Aboriginal and saying, well, that, that's got no significance as to whether you, you can remain in the country or not. So it has been highly offensive, but it's in no way an opportunistic argument. You can't come back and then retro, retrospectively try and prove that you're, you're Aboriginal. There's an 80,000 year history um, to prove that. They've both been remitted to the, to the federal court um, now that the special case was decided um, in, in Brendan's favour. But in terms of Daniel, the court wasn't able in the special case. It is a factual question as to whether somebody is Aboriginal or not. Um, and the court um, didn't, uh, didn't make a determination in Daniel's case. They certainly did in Brendan's. So um, both cases we are... Um, pushing for significant damages um, for both of them. So, Daniel, it is still a, a factual dispute in the federal court, um, which we're working through to prove that, that Daniel is um, a Camilleroy man and he is Aboriginal um, and he is beyond the reach and he should be immunised from the alien's power. Um, and we are claiming damages um, for him for his um, wrongful detention. So, he was in detention for approximately 45 days before... Um, any common sense prevailed and um, the discretion was exercised. Um, Brendan, of course, was in um, immigration detention for a lot longer. So um, we've proceeded with his um, very significant damages claim. Um, so he was unable to work for almost the 16 months. He had a job to go to. Um, so he was unable to work and earn an income for the period of time that he was in immigration detention, um, but also suffered the severe embarrassment as well. Um, so we are looking to mediate um, the matter of uh, Tom's um, later this year. Um, and, you know, that's, that's an ongoing process, but we're certainly pushing for... Um, compensation to reflect that the discretion um, should have been exercised a lot earlier um, and common sense should have prevailed. Um, and in terms of Daniel's um, case, it's, it's really important um, that firstly that we we're able to establish um, that he um, should never ever be vulnerable to deportation um, and anybody in, in his situation shouldn't be um, vulnerable to de deportation. Claire Gibbs finally reflected with me about cases like this, about the profound disadvantage experienced by Aboriginal people uh, and about this case as a symbolic and cultural landmark as well as an important legal decision. It's one of the striking things about so many of these cases of um, people have come here as kids is that they've had long periods of their lives during which <clears throat> their parents didn't apply for citizenship on their behalf, could have, mm. and the consequence of not having done so is that they, they, they're left terribly exposed and it seems quite arbitrary. And, it, and the really important thing too is, is, like our clients, you know, there's... <laughs> Indigenous Aboriginal Australians are incarcerated at a rate of 15 times more um, than 
than, you know, the rest of the population. So it is the case that Aboriginal Australians who are born overseas are in this very small but very vulnerable class of Australians um, in terms of, you know, facing the real prospect of being deported. It strikes me, just reading the judgment and hearing you talk, that there's this very close connection between the... um, the legal arc of this case and the symbolic journey that Australia has been on, well, presumably, you know, for its entire existence of, um, you know, very, very slow, very gradual movement towards um, a greater recognition of the particular place of Aboriginal people in <clears throat> in our national life and in our cultural life. Um, and it's striking how a number of the judgments, the, the, the line between what we might think of as those, um, you know, um, symbolic or aspirational things we might say about the place of Aboriginal people and the law, they come very close. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it is the case, look, you know, we're, we're talking about the common law definition of of an, of an alien. So, that, you know, the Constitution um, enacted in 1901 uh, in some senses is, you know, um, some, some people call it the birth certificate of our nation. So any birth certificate that says that an Aboriginal person could be classed as an alien and be vulnerable to be deported from um, the country that they have such a close connection with, um, it just, just divide, defies logic. But it, the reality is, is this, you know, this, isn't, this doesn't go far enough in terms of the constitutional recognition, but in terms of the common law, um, you know, Marbo Number Two clearly recognised that in terms of native title, um, but there, you know, the, the law has evolved to to start to properly recognise um, the unique and, and deep connection that Aboriginal people and relationship that they have um, with with our country. Thanks for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Gibbs for talking to me about this important, complex, and difficult case. Obviously, there is a great deal in seven separate sets of reasons for decision in a case with such a complex issue at its heart. But I hope that's given you a taste of what the case was about. Please have a look at past episodes on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You can find them on the website at www.inthatcasepodcast.com. And you can find me on Twitter and at Townsend's Joel C. Please feel free uh, to give me any comments, questions, other feedback you might have. Thanks again for listening. I hope to join you again soon for another episode of In That Case.